Coming up this week, off-screen. Meryl Streep is Florence Foster Jenkins. Tom Hiddleston sees the light. Seth Rogen has some more bad neighbours. Emotions run high in these final hours. And Christian Bale is the Knight of Cups. All those to come and more, off-screen. This is... This is off-screen. Latest film news and reviews. This is Offscreen, the on-screen radio show. Welcome to Offscreen. I'm Van Culler, and this is your weekly roundup of film rantings, ravings, and everything at the multiplex. And I'm joined by my co-host, Mr. Case Allen. I thought I'd introduce you for a change and stop you doing the thing. You took me by surprise. I know I did. I like to keep you on the edge of your toes. Uh, Sly boots. (laughs) Sly boots. I know. So shall we? uh, Shall we start with uh, with Bad Neighbors? We start with more neighbors. Okay, then. So it's uh, Seth Rogen. Have you seen the first Bad Neighbors? Of course, I have. you have. Course, okay, because I'm never sure. It's surprising. I think it's because it's on TV all the time, Sky movies all the time, mm. and it was so heavily marketed. I think we all feel like we watched it. Mm. I watched it at the cinema. Did you actually go? Oh, okay, yeah, actual multiplex. So now we have Bad Neighbors Two because money, and that's what it is. <laughs> yeah. It's a cash grab because sequel. Franchises. I don't think you could deny it's a cash grab sequel. Huh. I think we were all kind of surprised that, that we're making a sequel to begin with, and now it's here. And get this, they're inverting it this time, and there's girls. Cause, right. Because right, okay. that's how that's how they roll. That's how they roll. And uh, right. So the general gist is it's it's two years on from the first movie, and you've got the the married couple Seth Rogen and uh, Rose Byrne. It's Rose Byrne, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, Who are Mac and Kelly Radner, yeah. and they have now they're now pregnant with their second child. They've bought a house in the suburbs, right? So the house from the first movie they are packing up and selling. And they're about to move into the new house that they've bought and to move on to the next phase of their lives. However, the former frat house next door um, is is uh, is suddenly viewed by a group, a trio of girls led by Chloe Grace. Chloe Grace Moretz or Chloe Moretz? Um, it depends what she feels like. Sometimes it's Chloe Grace. Sometimes she just... She just CGM, CGM. Yeah, she just gets rid of that grace. Yeah. Um, and they—they they are uh, three eighteen-year-old girls who have gone to college. Uh, they're out of the nest from the, for the very first time, and they're not quite prepared for all the rules that come with it. So, namely, sororities, for instance, are not allowed to throw parties or serve alcohol. And this is an actual thing. I didn't know this. This is a real thing. Mm, I don't know either. They're not. They're not allowed to serve alcohol. This is a real thing yeah. in reality. Fraternities can. Sororities can't. They also. Uh, there are also things about drugs in dorms, things like that. Yeah. So they are stifled, and they feel like they've just traded in one set of parents for another. So they decide to set up their own fraternity, uh, own sorority, sorry, which is more in the style of a, fr- of a fraternity, but also empowering to women at the same time. And it's called Kappa Nu. And of course, in order to help them set up this frater- this sorority, I keep calling fraternity, they need someone who, of course, who knows the the system, how the system works. And enter Zac Efron, who you may remember from the first movie as being the antagonist in the first. This time around, two years on, he's all of his friends have moved on. He's the only one who's sort of still hanging back in life, works in the gap, I think. And he winds up moving into the sorority house as the sort of den mother, so to speak, but also as their sage guru. And he very quickly realizes that these girls are getting out of hand and their exploits are actually potentially thwarting Seth Rogen and and Rose Byrne's attempts to sell their house because it's an escrow for 30 days and the the buyers can pull out at any time and blah de blah and if they lose this house then they potentially lose both their houses and their lives are in ruins and uh, well here's a clip you guys think about renting this place 
Baby. What do you guys want with such a big house? We're starting our own sorority outside the system. That can totally do whatever it wants. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like throw dope-ass parties and totally rage. A sorority that can party? Kappa Nu. What's wrong with fraternity parties? What is it? I mean, we threw great parties here. Pimps and hoes, CEOs and corporate hoes, <laughs> Boise boys in Idaho's. They're like super sexist. <laughs> Every party is like themed ho. I mean, oh jeez. Oh no, oh God. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I see your point. So, so this is the general idea. So what you've got, you've got a very interesting idea at the core of this, which is basically the inherent sexism of the college institution. So the idea that the Greek system, for instance, is inherently biased towards the guys, and the, the idea that the girls are really just pursuing their... So in one sense, it actually has more depth than the first movie. The first movie had that whole bros before hoes kind of a culture. And this is, and, and they, they actually go out of their way to come up with a, a moment in this in which, uh, is it Carla Gallo, I want to say, from from Superbad, who's the, the oh, best friend? Yeah. Yeah. They, they actually come up with a moment in which Carla Gallo and Rose Byrne have a brief discussion about whether or not they could simply invert the formula of the first movie. Mm. Could we not just do hoes before bros? And Rose Byrne's response is, no, because women simply aren't that stupid. And you think, okay, we're on to something that's, that's here. Your answer. That yeah. that could work. So the idea is then that this is going to be a lot cleverer than the first one. We're going to take the formula of the first movie and we're going to give it some smarts. Unfortunately, that is about as far as they go with it. And what they do instead is really rehash the first movie, albeit with boobs. And that's that, that's really it. It's the first movie with boobs. And yeah. And there's, there's all the bits you expect. The airbag gag gets recycled again, but this time played for some sort of weird, cathartic, emotional payoff, which doesn't quite work the way I think the writers want it to. Um, there is this weird, weird moment in which it is off-handedly declared that feminism is for losers that feminism simply cannot work and is an unsustainable concept and that in order for it to thrive, you simply have to pander to men. That is actually a plot point within the movie. And you look at it and think, wow, you took something That's, that could have been absolutely yeah. profound from a frat house comedy and you just ruined it. You just wasted it, really. Yeah. It's and a then, loaded proposition, really, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah. And the problem is, it has everything to, it has everything going for it. It has a, a winning formula that's obviously paid off the first time around. It has enough room within the concept that you could have... Just, just do the whole, it's the first one, but smarter. Go and do that. And no one's going to claim sexism because it's a more intelligent one when the women are the antagonists. In fact, I would actually applaud that because it would actually it would lend some sort of credibility to it the first movie didn't quite have. The other thing is, it's not particularly well thought out, even in terms of its own minute-to-minute -minute gags. Which is, for, which is say, for instance, it's been two years since the first movie. An awful lot seems to happen in the, in, in the movie world in two years, according to, to this film. So, for instance, despite the fact the last movie took place in 2014, this movie goes off like it's taking place a decade later in terms of technology, for instance, things like that. Mm. And there are things about uh, iMessage and, and gags about Find My Friends and Tinder and FaceTime, and you're thinking... Hang on, we had all this in in when the last movie was out. They just didn't explore it in the first one. You just couldn't be, and there's, and you'll never convince me for a second that a, a sorority house would be more technologically adept than a frat house. Really? Oh, now it was being sexist. 
I'm, no, I'm sorry, but let, let's be honest. Of the two, which one's pioneering Tinder? Come on, right? Yeah, okay. yeah. Come <laughs> yeah. on, let, let's let's be honest. Well, there. Well, no, never been on Tinder. Never had to. Well, you've clearly never had a, a good fun drunk night out with friends. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it's not technically catfishing if it's a group activity. Anyway, so <laughs> conclusion on the film. Conclusion on the film. Um, there are some laughs in it. You will laugh. I mean, did you like the first one? Uh, I did, but I think it was more powered through with the chemistry between uh, Zac Efron and with Seth Rogen. And that's that, really what. Kind right of now, that funnily enough is, for me, is the big point of it. Now there was a great moment, and that was I think that's what I said about the first film was that mm. there were some gags in it, there were some moments in the character stuff when they were bonding and talking about who their who their Batman was, for instance, things like that. And you think, right, yeah, yeah, that be, really kind works. of before a bit yeah. of a fallout. Yeah, that was fun. Now this movie, given the last one ended with them back at that friend level kind of weirdly goes back. It has a weird inversion for Zac Efron. And you say so you get all those moments that you expect where, oh, he's being shirtless and oiled, and oh, it's a gag because he's so sexy. And, yeah. and they, yeah, he's a good-looking chap, but really, come on, we've, we've got a plot to get on with, and it would be <laughs> nice if you didn't just rehash the last one. Yeah, we want some story. Open yeah. yeah, and there is a sort of re-inversion, re- re- so to speak, of Zac Efron, and it's really out of place and really weird, and the result is you've got a 105-minute-long like film that takes an hour to get Seth Rogen and Zac Efron back to that place, and you think, this is unnecessary. You don't go through a first movie and then do away with the character development. That's why Iron Man 2 sucked, because, you know, you Absolutely. don't make Tony yeah. Stark a better person than have him just go back. You, you, he's he's yeah. there. He's gone through that journey. He can move to. You have. More we went. We now. went through a journey in 2014, yeah. and it would be nice if you could remember that when you write the sequel, mm. and you know, just give us antagonists in brass this time. Didn't it end with? Did Seth Rogen go to go see him outside of the gap? Outside of the gap, and, and took his shirt off, his off and they do that gag again because literally every gag is is played. I've seen again. that on the trailer. He's got like he's got like a sharpie. Yeah, sharpie drawn abs. abs. Yeah. yeah. Um, there is one thing I will single out for the film. Oh, two things I'll single out. First of all, it has a cameo early on from Kelsey Grammer, and it, it's so brilliantly played, and they could not have found a better performer for it. And also, given certain real-life, real housewives of whatever the hell events, kind of strangely poignant, and I'm surprised he'd even do it. But it does show you how good Kelsey Grammer can be in a certain capacity. Um, The other thing is, I did really like... Is it Ike Barinholtz, is it? Yeah, the the best friend. Who plays the best friend. He was the love interest in Sisters. Yes, he was excellent. And I didn't realise it was the same guy. And there is a gag with him and a Clown mask. Mm. Uh, he, he's everyone loves clowns. He says, but he's. he's oh, got, I've seen him mm, out of a trailer, and he, yeah. and he just looks like Pennywise. Yeah, he looks yeah, like yeah. Pennywise. Yeah. The, like the clown from it, and it's it's a gag that never gets old. Strangely enough, yeah. Um, he's actually written uh, an upcoming uh, Zac Efron comedy, the one with Aubrey Plaza. Is that the one? Yeah. The uh, wedding date one. Is it Mike and Dave need wedding dates? Mike and Dave Something need like wedding that, yeah. with Adam Devine. He's he's written that. Uh, that they, that's the Adam Devine from it Workaholics, is, yeah, yeah. isn't it? No, I was a big fan. And uh, we'll say if you what did, what would you give the first one out of ten? Um, a solid seven point four. Seven point four. Maybe seven point five. You, you'll give this a six point five. Okay. Eight, I'd still be all right with that. It's I just... think I would, I would compare it to Horrible Bosses too. I would I would say that it it is to Bad Neighbors Two is to Bad Neighbors One what Horrible Bosses Two is to Horrible Bosses One. It, it's exactly that kind of. It's, okay. it's, it's of the same ilk, perhaps not quite as funny, yeah. but it does the job. So you can watch it, not be terrible. You can just be like set there, exactly. entertained, have some popcorn. You have, don't have even no particularly time. need to have seen the first one. And it's a pretty simple concept. It, that's a good. It's a good thing. For yeah, it is. Yeah. It's you know, it's two cans on a string, simplistic. 
with the latest film news and reviews. This is Offscreen, the on-screen radio show. And we're back. And who doesn't love a bit of John Williams played on guitar, eh? It is John Williams, isn't it? it Jurassic is. Park. So yeah, of course yeah. it is. Okay, so should we crack on with the box office top ten then for the week? We'll get the first half out of the way. Let's do it. Number ten. Eddie the Eagle. Eddie the Eagle. Which hanging on there, isn't it? Five weeks. Five, Five weeks. weeks. It's number ten. I think it'll be gone next week, realistically. It's, it's had a good one. I think it's one of those that I think they'll get it out on DVD in time for Father's Day. Oh, this would be ideal. Yeah, it's, it's one of those. You get it out on DVD for time for Father's Day. It's you know, it, it's family friendly. It's fun. It's fluffy. It's not too challenging either narratively or even in terms of its comedic sentiment. Uh, Taron Egerton's a lot of fun in it. Hugh Jackman is even more fun in it. And Dexter Fletcher brings some flair to it all, and it all kind of works. And it has a bit of zazz and a bit of you know, a bit of whoosh and a bit of eighties fun to it all. Number nine, Electra, not the Marvel, not the Marvel one. <laughs> this is a Met Opera. Is this is Met Opera. Okay, so, no, obviously. We haven't seen this, and it would be unfair to comment on the opera that we have not seen. Have you not seen this one in reality, outside of the cinema? Uh, no, I have not. Number eight. Son of Saul. Son of Saul. Now, I've not seen this one, but you have. I have, yeah. So, it's very, very good. This was an award winner, wasn't it? It was. It won uh, Best uh, best Foreign Feature uh, at this year's Academy Awards. Which I didn't get to see. And I do, I do recommend did. it. It's Obviously, it's not the most cheery source material that you could hope for, but... Um, yeah, it's, it's very much in the vein of, of like Schindler's List, that kind of Auschwitz drama. Number seven. Friend request. Friend requests? Well, I'd block them, if I'm honest. Hi-oh. Hey-oh. Uh, no, I'd, I'd, I'd decline it, block it. You wouldn't, you wouldn't poke it? Wouldn't poke it. Wouldn't poke. No. No. No, one out of ten wouldn't poke. And, oh, God, <laughs> could you imagine that review quote on the poster? One out of ten wouldn't poke. I don't um, think that would get on the poster. I don't somehow. Uh, it's so CW. It's so sub-Netflix. It's so, you know, you find it on Amazon Prime when you're really stuck for something to watch. And it's just so forgettable as well. I mean, I, I, I've forgotten most of the things about it, other than the fact the main girl looked like some TV actress. That was really it. Number six. Demolition. Vera Farmia. She looked like Vera Farmia. That's what she looked like. So Demolition is awesome. And uh, Jake Gyllenhaal in what I think is a career best. This movie got panned, and I don't get why. Why are you looking at me like that when I say career best? Mark, because Nightcrawl happened a year and a half ago. Which really? Is that, was, that was really good, but that owed a lot to American Psycho, for instance. Where I would say that owed more to Taxi Driver. Yes, Taxi Driver. Makes, Whereas those, I think he could, not having seen this, but I think he could play this in his sleep. You think he could? I Well, maybe he could, but because he hadn't before, that's why I really liked it. Okay. I really thought it, it landed for me. Uh, I thought Jean-Marc Vallée did an excellent job with it. Um, I think Naomi Watts puts in an excellent performance. Chris Cooper, a little bit standard. But other than that, really enjoyed it. I thought it was a tremendous film. And I expected very little after mm. all the resoundingly... It, 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 it was resoundingly panned. negative hype. Yeah. But uh, so we'll leave that there, and we'll, tell, we'll try and fit in some news before. Uh, oh yeah, go on. Before the uh, before the top before the top ten before these final hours, and uh, well, we've got some interesting ones this week. Um, did you know they've done a poll with Marvel fans apparently? Because mm. apparently Marvel's big at the moment. This is this I've is heard a thing. That, actually, there's something out that. at the multiplex that's doing really well, mm. and uh, yeah. So they've asked Marvel fans what they'd like to see uh, in one of their unannounced projects. What which one they'd like to see done? Okay. And apparently, forty eight percent of people said, can we have a Black Widow movie, please? Of course. Be- because, yeah. hell, why the hell not? Um, okay, mm-hmm. let's talk about then about the big news of the week, which is, of course, the sequel we've been hearing rumoured for years. 
is finally happening. Is it Showgirls 2? It is not Showgirls 2. I know. Well, keep waiting. I want keep waiting. I want Showgirls 2 starring Halston Sage. I really do. <laughs> that that is my dream movie. Get Paul Verhoeven back. Oh, Halston I'm sure, I'm Sage sure Halston sure. Sage is the new Showgirl. Yeah. Elizabeth Berkeley comes in as a mentor figure. Oh, absolutely. And I, I'm telling it you. Practically writes itself. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know. Two show, two girls. This time it's sparklier. Like, oh, this they could really work, but no. Space Jam Two is happening. Oh, even better, even better. And uh, LeBron James. This was the rumor for years as well. LeBron oh, for James. A long time, yeah. Yeah, LeBron is is the star this time. Do you yeah, think we'll get a Jordan sense. cameo? Oh, I hope so. I, I think I think we might actually. As long as we get a Wayne Knight cameo, that's all I care about. Would Bill Murray come back? I don't really care. I just want Wayne Knight back. <laughs> <laughs> but the really interesting thing about it as well is Justin Lin apparently is yeah. in talks to direct this and mm. because that's just what Justin Lin does now. He picks up sequels. I'm 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 convinced Justin Lin just hangs around in alleyways like Roger the Alien and American Dad. <laughs> Justin Lin, director for hire, who are you looking for someone? You know, that's kinda of how it works. I yeah. just imagine there's two executives walking down a road in Hollywood and like, ah, we need someone for this and then he just strolls out from an alleyway behind them. Justin Lin, director for hire. How's it, your Star Trek sequel? My yeah. And it literally says Justin Lin, sequel director. Even though always got like a sign, like a cardboard sign that says we'll direct for food. Just, <laughs> we'll direct sequels for we'll food. Sequels for food. <laughs> That's how it works. So yes, yeah, Space Jam 2 is happening. LeBron is in it. Justin Lin is in talks to direct. And on that note, let's talk about these final hours, which is this quirky little um Australian horror drama, as it were, with a little twinge of sort of character-driven sci-fi to it. Um what you've got is um effectively the end of the world is literally nigh. The Earth is being struck by a series of, I think they're asteroids, mm. and it's it, obviously because it's happening in <laughs> waves over the course of the Earth. Australia is the last to be hit, which is where the movie is set. So everyone knows they're going to die, and they're going to die within a certain amount of time. So what do you do? Well, you put all your affairs in order. So for some people, that means spend time with our loved ones and just sit here quietly and wait for the end. Certain people decide to off themselves. Certain people, and I can't help but think I'd be one of these people, decide to throw an epic end-of-the-world bash in which literally anything goes. And it's into this mix that we find our, our protagonist, whose name escapes me, although I know him from something else, I will look it up during the clip, um, who, is dis- who is told on the eve of the end of the world that his girlfriend is pregnant. Sorry, his bit on the side, because he has a girlfriend, then he has his bit on the side. Who is the chick from House of Cards? Be the, more specific. The one that Mr. Stamper killed. Oh. Yes. Yeah, yeah you What's know who I mean. What's name? It's escaping me. We're going to have to put the IMDb page during the Absolutely. clip. Um, but yeah, so he's told that uh, he's going to be a father, but it's it's all for naught, really, because they're going to be dead in 18 hours or so. And uh, he decides, no, no, I just want to go off and, and get inebriated and wait for the end. And he does. Along the way, he happens upon an attempted child predator kills him, rescues the girl he has he has captured, and decides, I'm going to take the girl back to her family, but we'll stop off at the party on the way. And, of course, into this mix comes the whole, what does it all mean? Where do my priorities lie? How do I really want to spend my final days? And then, of course, there are little asides, like the clip we're about to play, in which our antagonist uh, turns up at a library and encounters a police officer, his wife and young young daughters, and he's asked by that police officer if he wouldn't mind doing them a solid and killing them all. Here's that clip. What? What do you want? I'm trying to do what's right. But I can't anymore. I love them too much. I can't watch them suffer like this. 
That's what Dad want to be. Could you do it? Clean. Run the back of their heads. No. Please. I've got a picture book. I'll read it to them and then bang, you just do it clean. Run the back of their heads. They won't feel a thing and then it'll be over. There's four bullets in there, one for each of us. No. Please, please. No. Forgive me then. Forgive me for what I'm going to do. So here's what I know the young actor from in this. It's Nathan Phillips, who is the the sort of protagonist in Snakes on a Plane. Remember that? The guy with the dirt bike. <laughs> do I beginning? remember that? Do you remember that? <laughs> yeah, of course I do. I mean, let, let's be honest. We all remember Snakes on a Plane and Oh, I'm Ready for It. Yeah, that, those are the greatest song lyrics for a theme tune ever. Sorry, LL. Anyway, uh, Jessica <laughs> Go, by the way, is the girl from House of Cards, yeah. I believe. Uh, so Nathan Phillips from Snakes on a Plane is the antagonist here. And, uh, well, for the most part, I mean, it's, it's a well-played, unassuming sort of a drama. It it doesn't particularly insist on itself. I think it knows it's quite disposable. It does add depth where possible, but it's not trying to be too profound about it. It's pretty much just saying, here's A, here's B, here's C, we're there. That's it. It's 90 minutes on the nose. It's compact. It's tightly put together. The young child actress who plays Rose in it, very compelling. I, I didn't mind it at all. If there is a complaint to be had about it, it's that you have kind of seen this all before. And to be, I mean, I know it's a different genre entirely, but we did sort of see this was Seeking a Friend for the End of the World. I was just thinking about when you were saying about a big party scene. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It is that kind of thing. Because that, it's that thing. I think most people would if the end of the world was coming. People would definitely get drunk, I would say. I, oh, definitely. People, definitely. Yeah. But uh, so th- this is kind of uh, Seeking a Party for the End of the World, if you're going to call it anything. Um, say Zach Hilditch, Australian director, writer-director on this one. I'm not particularly familiar with his body work outside of this. He did something called The Plum Roll. I've not heard of it. No, I'm not terribly familiar with it either. And uh, But no, um, solid enough effort. He's gone for that sort of accessible yet art house style. It is very much a, I am a, I am a photography enthusiast, and here is your proof. And <laughs> like it, Tom Hooper. It, it is exactly. Oh, no, no, Tom Hooper is, let me do this close-up. Stay down, he's got 60 yeah. feet back. <laughs> see you later. See you later. We're good. I'm fine. <laughs> Close up. See you later. And uh, but no, I, I did. I didn't enjoy it. I liked it. And I think there's t- that's a very important distinction to make. I don't think it's a film you enjoy. I think it's a film you either like or you don't. Or you're interested or you're not. And that's the end of it. It isn't for everyone. I think the the fact that it is effectively an indie Australian film. I think that is going to be somewhat disjointed for some people. Hmm. But I I really liked it. I thought Nathan Phillips sold it really well. He's quite a self character and he plays it not so much sympathetically as honestly I would say and yeah for me that kind of would so let's drop the needle come back after the jump with the latest film news and reviews this is off screen and we're back to the sounds of Harold Faltermeyer. So, should we uh, should we look at uh, Florence Foster Jenkins then? Yeah, go on. Which, that, that's kind of a tongue twister, Florence Foster Jenkins. Yeah, I, I was just saying to you, I can't believe that I got it correct in the intro without fluffing it up. On the FDA uh, screening list, they actually listed it as uh, Florence Forrest Jenkins. Forrest Jenkins. Forrest Jenkins, which nice. is like the the, the, the estranged Gump. But uh, <laughs> so, of course, this is, is it, this is a true story, and mm, is, this is this is very strange. So this this is 
true story that certain people seem to know. I was unaware of the story. So you have the title character, Florence Foster Jenkins, who's played in this incarnation by uh, Meryl Streep. Uh, the film's brought to us by Stephen Frears, writer-director Stephen Frears, who, of course, famously brought us Philomena a couple of Phenomena. years ago. Phenomena. If we, do, if we do it to the Muppets theme, da, 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 Phenomena. There you go. Yeah. Um, works. It does work. Yeah. Um, so what you've got is you've got a story of a wealthy, musically obsessed socialite. Jenkins herself, who runs the Verdi Club. She puts on shows in which she effectively is a performer but not a singer. One day, she happens in that eureka moment that they all have, uh, witnesses an operatic performance and decides she wants to be a singer. So, with her husband, well, husband of convenience, so to speak, who's St. Clair Baynard, played by Hugh Grant in what seems to be an unclaimed Colin Firth role, and it re- really is. And I tell you, you've never seen Hugh Grant put this much energy into a performance. It's it's weird, like at first, because you, you're so used to dry sort of yeah, Hugh Grant him being himself, <laughs> so, some, so some charmingly woman. befuddled. Yeah. <laughs> and, <you> know, <laughs> I'm so damn British. Yes, I'm, I'm just so British. Um, so he decides he's going to go along with it, and he, as he's always done, he shelters her from the truth, which is that she's largely talentless. And what he does is he pays off critics and pays off. He puts he puts money bribes in with the invitations to her events and things like that. To the idea that everyone who comes along at this point is in on the sort of gag, and they're just playing along. They compliment her vividly at the end of each performance. Wow, well done! Despite the fact that she is completely tone deaf, and they are joined in this venture by. By uh, Cosme McMoon, played by such a good name, it's a great name, isn't it? <laughs> and he's a real guy, Cosme mm-hmm. McMoon, played by Simon Helberg from The Big Bang Theory, who you'll know as the guy who does the uh, Nicolas Cage impressions on episodes of Conan. Uh, yes, he, well, I, I also know him from Big Bang Theory, and uh, it plays Moist in, no, uh, no, in Doctor Who. Don't, 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 don't say anything about having actually watched The Big Bang Theory. You're ruining this now. No. I'm not saying I'm a fan. I'm saying <laughs> I'm saying I'm aware of a cultural <clears throat> phenomenon called the Big Bang Theory. There is there is a show and it, it's called that and <laughs> and it's got a lot of some lunatics really like bad it. canned laughter. It has. Where's the joke? You're just saying things. <laughs> You're just naming. Oh, it's things. your chair. <laughs> So, of course, uh, so this is the idea. Um, They are now going forth with her grand singing debut, uh, her vocal debut. She has no talent. And, of course, the pressure is on. Can they keep this ruse going forever? Is she in on it? Does she know? How much longer can they keep her completely in the dark to the idea that, really, she has no ability? We have a clip. (laughs) Is ours not a happy world, Cosme? Do we not have fun? Please, Mr. Bayfield. You see, we have to help her because without loyalty... There's nothing. We'll be murdered out there. You think that I'm not aware of that? For 25 years, I have kept the mockers and scoffers at bay. I'm very well aware of what they might do. But Florence has been my life. I love her, and I think you love her, too. Hmm? Singing at Carnegie Hall is her dream, and I'm going to give it to her. The only question now is whether you will stand by your patron and friend in her hour of need, or whether you will focus on your ambition. Please, Cosmo, will you play with your friend? As you can see, it's, it's, it's a Colin Firth role. Very strange. It kind of is mm. that. You can just see Colin Firth in the role. The thing is, being a Stephen Freer film, and by the way, your lady turns up in this. I don't know if you're aware... Uh, Miss Ferguson does does turn up in oh, this. Oh, I heard, yeah. Yes, Rebecca Ferguson Exciting. is in this. Um, so this, this, being a Stephen Frears film, it is becoming increasingly difficult to process that this is the guy who brought us high fidelity. 
I've never forgotten that, obviously. And now, because like because I adore High Fidelity. One of my like top twenty movies ever is High Fidelity, and it. it but he seems to have he's done that Terrence Malick thing where he's just gone to a different phase of his career and done completely different kinds of projects. Yeah. Well, he's done uh, the Queen, the Queen, Philomena, exactly. And he he seems to be on this wish list of I'm going to take every actress above a certain age and I'm going to do a project with each of them. So I've done Mirren, I've done Dench. It's Streep's turn. Yeah. And, and Sarandon, you're next. Yeah, Sarandon, yeah. you're next. And and Jane Seymour will resurrect you after. And, and that's that's how it works. And so what you've got is this sort of Emperor's New Clothes style tale. But it is played as a sort of romping screwball farce at times. But you can't help but think, as fun as it is, and it is a lot of fun, there are some laughs to be had, and you will chortle and chuckle, and, and you will go along with it. But what you will not be able to escape throughout is that there isn't much behind it. You look at something like Philomena, which was all heart and pure heft, and this is all heart and no heft, and that that's kind of an issue. You do sort of think, okay, maybe this is this is a, a sort of this is a sojourn for, for Stephen Frears. Maybe this is him saying, okay, I want to do something lighter for this one, and, and and it's a deliberate choice. But you do look at it within his body of work and think, this is definitely one of your weaker offerings. What was his last film? Was it the program? I think I think it was the program, yeah. which again, that was I think that was an attempt to be hard hitting, and he sort of misfired. But that was outside the realm of this. I'm going to do the highbrow, you know, I'm going to the highbrow, <laughs> glitzy, you know, couple of laughs, yeah. exactly, couple of laughs in there. But it's going to have a point. And the problem is, Philomena was so darn good, and that was a great film, really it? was. And it's it's a kind of film that when it's on, you you watch it and you do pay attention. Mm. And I don't think anyone ever chooses to watch it again. But when it's on, you watch it, you pay attention. I have rewatched the program, incidentally, and I do like I that. S- I more. still haven't seen it. I would like to watch it at some point. Is it it's on it's Amazon on Prime now? Isn't it? Oh, is it? Maybe I could check it out Prime. this weekend or something. I'm sure it is uh, because it's made by Amazon Prime. Uh, oh, right. The program is actually mm. made by Amazon Prime. I uh, say uh, Meryl Streep delivers this flawlessly, and but that's kind of a redundant statement in one sense because when does Meryl Streep not? Yeah, it's like saying Lewis Hamilton is really good at driving that yeah, car. Yeah, it, it kind of is. Uh, but, but really, she's not the central focus here. The central focus is all on Hugh Grant. Hmm. And to a lesser extent, Simon Helberg. And Meryl Streep is actually the third stringer in this film, despite playing the title character. It's more about Sinclair Baynard, and it is more about uh, Cosme McMoon than it is anything else. And Was that his real name? Cosme, yes, it was, and uh, incidentally, they they do provide you with uh, the story of what became of him after the events of the film, and okay. it's really intriguing. He developed a passion for bodybuilding, and and became a professional Whoa. bodybuilding judge. And no. yeah, it's a very strange, strange story. Um, but like I say, it is fun, and you will laugh, and you will enjoy every minute of it. But you will sit there and think, "What's it all mean, Basil?" You know, <laughs> there, there is that. What did he do? What does it all mean, Basil? Kind of a feeling to it. And I, I kind of expected more, given the wealth of talent behind this. I mean, it's Stephen Freer and Meryl Streep. I mean, wh- I've got a question for you. Go for it. My mum likes films, but she doesn't particularly like. She doesn't know who Stephen Freer is. She likes. She really likes films like The Queen and Filmina, but. Is this a film my mum would like? I think your mum would love it. I, I, I think. If she likes Philomena, I, 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 think, I think she'd very much enjoy it. I, I, I didn't dislike it. I thought it was a lot of fun. Uh, but like I say, it, I was aware of its limitations throughout. I think, I think it is. I think it's important to have that about it. It is, like I say, it is all heart, but no half. There is nothing solid to it. It is quite a thinly, thinly uh, guised film. With the latest film news and reviews. This is Offscreen.
the on-screen radio show. So, um, well, we'll just look at some film news before we uh, before we crack yeah, on with okay, the, the rest of the top ten for the week. What do you have for me? Right, we've got to talk about S. Craig Zollner. Do, do you know him? No, no, it, I wish I did. He was the writer director of Bone Tomahawk recently, and I know and what this news is as well. You know the news; oh, it's man. so good. He's yeah. writing a reboot of. Do you remember, do you remember Puppet Master, yeah, like the course, horror movies from course, the eighties? Yeah. Right, they're, they're 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 rebooting, not rebooting, but relaunching. Uh, Puppet Master, in, and they're going to have this new one. It's going to be called Puppet Master: The Littlest Reich, and the story is going to be a uh, a, a young man uh, discovers one like a, one of the, a puppet in his uh, deceased brother's, his late brother's uh, belongings, where he's like clearing out his house kind of thing, and decides to go and sell it at auction, only for a mysterious supernatural force to animate all the toys at the auction mm. on the thirtieth anniversary of the events of the first Puppet Master. That sounds pretty great. This is that kind of child's play yeah. logic, but it. Works. Is he going to uh, direct as well, or just write? He's just writing. They are looking for a director, but the the working theory is that he will step into the director the directing role because he is going to be doing a film with Vince Vaughn, which I know sounds alarm bells for a lot of people, but. Sounds quite interesting. It's going to be set in a prison. It's like a prison yeah. escape sort of drama. I've heard this one. This is this yeah. is this is Vaughn going gritty, isn't it? It is. Yeah. Trying I, I to follow all the titles, but the title is great. He's trying to follow the True Detective kind of, kind of trail, isn't he? Yeah. Hopefully, he doesn't follow it downwards because no. season two wasn't oh, too that, hot. That that breakfast scene with yeah. Colin Farrell and, and and Vince Vaughn. Wow. I know. Was there a more awkward moment on television last year? No. But maybe that that film will redeem him. And that, that this was sounds there, pretty good as well. That was up Puppet there with Master. the attempted sexual assault in that episode. Of Louis, as just oh something that yeah, as just, just something like, that you felt bad this? watching. Yeah, yeah, and l- let's never talk about that Louis episode again though, because what the hell were you thinking, Louis? But uh, yeah, so Puppet Master, the Littlest Reich, we've got that going on. Oh, Transformers is being sued. We got to talk about that. Awesome. Yeah, Transformers is being sued. Forget this. Forgetting to include product placement. <laughs> I know, I know. Actually, by what products? This is a real thing. By, by what products? Right. I, I counted about a thousand and twelve. I know, I know. It turns out there was a Chinese t- uh, beach resort who paid, uh, I think, it was something like three quarters of a million dollars to uh, Paramount and China Movie Channel because let's not forget, Age of Extinction was a Chinese. That's, that's a great name for yeah. it. Uh, they pay three quarters of a million to have their logo included in the film. That yeah. logo never appeared, and uh, they are now suing. Both parties. For how much do we know? Uh, I did have it written down somewhere. Uh, no, I've not written down this. But um, an Optimus Prime full of cash. No, no, wait. Just, just you wait until you hear how they attempted to apologise for this and avoid the lawsuit. How did we do it? Paramount claimed, yeah, but in lieu of in lieu of in lieu of like paying you, we apologise and we've left you all the sets and props so you can set up your own little tourist thing, and we'll have Michael Bay shoot you a commercial for your uh, your resort. <laughs> And, and and apparently that's I mean I'll be honest that wouldn't be good enough for me but really that's not good that's like someone giving you like the ingredients to a cake it's, it's <laughs> like saying like, no no I paid I paid you to make me a cake do not send Guy Fieri around my house that's how it works that's exactly how can it he is. even make a cake or would he just go around and be like just just watch someone make a cake I no Guy Fieri would would, would build you a cake uh, he put re- some sunglasses he'd on refer it. to it as bitching throughout and then at the end of it he would light oh, it on fire sponge is bitching bro he would we would put this bad boy right here and light it on fire and here's how you make a cocktail to go with it that is literally a Guy Fieri episode seriously that is what it contains I don't doubt you if you've never seen Guy's Big Bite that's that's what it contains so uh, we should of course uh, finish the top 10 for the week and uh, well you know attempt to do our jobs like grown-ups. Number five. 
Try everything. Zootropolis. <laughs> you love this movie, really. Admit it deep down. Yeah. But uh, no, I'm I'm a big fan of, of Zootropolis. I I I'm, I'm sticking to my guns that it is tied for the best family film of the year for me. It's tied with Jungle Book. I think there's nothing there's, there's nothing undignified. Disney are on a roll. They are on fire. They're, they're and doing what Universal did last year. They they kind of are, but this is so full of heart and so full of soul and warmth and just just it's so good natured and it's so pleasant. Even though it has a really dark side as well, and it really goes to really dark places with its noir stylings and its Who Framed Roger Rabbit sensibilities I was a big fan. Number four Gary Marshall's Bastille Day <laughs> That's a movie you want to see isn't yes. it? Speaking of which have you heard how much uh, Julia Roberts has gotten paid for her three days of shooting on Mother's, on Mother's Day, Day. Four million. Four million. Four million, really? Four million for something like three days of work. Well, you have to for that bloody hairstyle. Yeah. Have you seen it? Well, so Bastille Day, which is uh, a very forgettable, very disposable, schlocky, on-the-budget action thriller set in France. All the characters are Americans. They're all played by Brits, putting on awful American accents. But you know what? Richard Madden and Idris Elba make for a fun little double act briefly. Idris Elba's always amusing to watch in these it's, things. It's Rob Stark and Luther. It is, it's isn't it? it? It's Starky and Loose. That's how it works. Starky and Loose. Oh, that's a spin-off I want yeah. to see. Number three. Eye in the Sky. Eye in the Sky, which I'm sure is going to be an excellent DVD release, but uh, I'm, I'm not paying money from my own pocket to review a film for Entertainment One. Uh, no. Number two. The Jungle Book. <laughs> which I, I, I don't think it's unfair to say that we, we have an unabashed love for between us. Oh, it's it's pretty blatant. It, it's pretty it's, blatant, it's out and I mean, it's great performances, great animation, great, great effects, great direction. Yeah. I mean, Fab's oh that score, I know, yeah. and a brilliant script from Justin Marks, the former mm. screenwriter of 2009's Street Fighter: The Legend of Chun Li. Lest we forget, lest we forget. <laughs> um, no, I had a lot of fun with it. I, this is something I, I think should be seen by everyone. Should be seen on the biggest screen imaginable. Take the kids, take the grandparents, take the parents, take the relatives, take the friends, take just people. Take everyone. Take take everyone and go and fall in love with this film because everyone should. Number one, <laughs> Batman versus. Oh wait a minute, no, it's not <laughs> Captain America: Civil War. Of course, boom. <laughs> Baby. Did you notice that uh, Batman? It's recently, not. It's, it's not gone this it's not week. In the top ten. Um, and also on the film news front with Batman Superman, mm. have you heard they are closing out the box office takings on that film? Have you heard how much it's made? Well, it's not made a billion. It's not made a billion. Mm. It has fallen 150 mil short of its mark. Which, when you take into account how the box office actually works, means that Batman Superman has made roughly 31.4 million dollars in profit. Yeah. Yeah. The budget has been roughly inflated to around 400. Oh, has it? And, and so they've, they've we been can quite just erase what it. I just said they've, now. They've been quite cagey about it. Oh, no, the, the, the 400 million. That was a 200 million, 200 something million plus it's another 200 million for marketing. That's yeah. where the figure actually works. Yeah. yeah. So it's yeah, something yeah. like. Three hundred and it's something like thirty-one point four million in actual profit. You think, well, that's kind of sad. That's crazy. And in the meanwhile, the director of the Flash has left that movie, and you know, mm-hmm. Seth Graham yeah. uh, Johnson, Seth Graham. Seth Gra- what's his surname? Smith. Uh, Seth, Seth Graham, Graham Smith, Smith yeah. has dropped out directing The Flash. There's rumours that James Wan is doing it with Aquaman, although he's denying he's it for denied now. It, yeah. And no. But let's talk about a more fun version of the same movie. <laughs> Just a much better, more well-rounded. Better thought out. Yeah, yeah, same plot, same yeah, runtime, same yeah. setup, 
done better. And you know what the difference is? You've got directors who care. Yeah. You've got writers who get the characters. You've got... You've had people that have worked on multiple films that have been running up to this kind of event. Exactly, because yeah. these kind of films should be an event film. They shouldn't be a one-shot and done. They shouldn't be a platform launcher. They should be earned. And Civil War feels throughout like a film that has been earned. It does not feel like a, you know what, this is what you get and deal with it. It feels like this is a culmination. I mean, it has been referred to by the directors as the deconstruction period, which I think mm. is a very good way to look at it. Yeah, um, we've got an, a great performance from Robert Downey Jr., who manages to inject manages to inject some. What life a shocker! You were going to say Robert Downey Jr. Oh, first. Bear with me, just bear with oh, me, like because he manages to basically take the Tony Stark character full circle back to 2008 mm. and address things with that character that it have been long overdue. Emotionally. Yeah, it's the most emotionally complex Tony take on Tony yeah, Stark. Absolutely. Uh, you've then, of course, got Chris Evans, and Chris Evans has—he's always been relatively comfortable in this role because it is an awkward character to play. It is a Boy Scout, for lack of a better term. Mm. But whereas with Superman, you have the invincible, good-natured Boy Scout man who can do no wrong, or G. Shucks, and frankly, Henry Cavill has chosen to play him as boring. And Don't think it was Henry Cavill's decision. I know, and David S. Goyer and Zack Snyder and his boys <laughs> have written it as boring. Here you have the same kind of a character who is played with nuance, who actually has complexity, who has a distinct personality and identity and problems, and they work. Mm. They do really work on screen. Um, I objected to certain things with the film. It's lumpy, it's baggy in the middle. There is a horribly shoehorned-in love interest uh, role for Emily Van Camp, which seems to be there entirely to try and you know, put aside any thoughts that Bucky and Cat might have something going on on the side. Uh, and you've seen it twice. You can't deny that that is a thing. Loads of people have been shipping that particular yeah, there, yeah, there's a quite famous photoshopped image of the pair of them <laughs> that I think is hilarious every time I see it. Um, mm. However, th- for all this little fault, there are its little successes as well. And there are things like Tom Holland as Spider-Man, who is just this force of nature. We never never saw this one coming. Um, and uh, uh, Chadwick Boseman as, oh, as Black yeah. Panther, who, and you sit and think, oh, like, that character so should not work that well. I mean, but, it, but it does. It because really you, does. you see what his motivations are, they infold, unfold right before your eyes. Like, they really do. Yeah. Did you notice no see origin story on that either? Which no, I, it's straight in. Straight I thought in. it was terrific. I particularly like that they do... You don't You don't need it. We don't. Because no, there's, there's a couple of throwaway lines, I don't want to say anything because people probably haven't mm. seen it, but there are a couple of lines where he basically sets it up saying, Black Panther's been around for years, I'm just the latest one. Yes, well, they play yeah. it as the Phantom, don't they? Kind of, yeah, like, pretty kind of the much, Phantom yeah. idea. Uh, I particularly like there is a moment in which Tony Stark asks Spider Man, "It's like, well, why do you do this?" He's like, uh, uh, "I have my reasons." You, you've all seen the movies, you know. Yeah. I, I like that about why, it. Why, why are you like this? It's a long story. It's a long and story. We've all been through it. It's a long <laughs> we story. All know the story Ma- about. Martin Sheen, usual, and you know, some guy from the West Wing. That's all we know. But uh, no, I think it is worthy of being number one. It is a terrific popcorn feature. It is a great combination. To the Captain America trilogy, it is oh, a yeah, it's going great. Out high. It is. It's Captain it's, America. It's got better and well. better and better. It has that series has improved vastly with every installment. Mm. I, however, do I think that while it's got the scale, it's got the scope, it's got the evolution that mm. it needs. I still don't think it's as streamlined and as punchy as the Winter Soldier. I do think it's an excellent film, though. But the fact that I'm saying it's an excellent film and it has those issues tells you how much I loved the Winter Soldier. Yeah. And even though the actual, it's in the same vein, though. It is in the same yeah. vein, and it follows on <clears throat> nicely. I thought. Although, can we just have one Captain America movie somewhere down the line where he's not a fugitive? That, yeah. that, that That's getting a bit old now. Is he fugitive in the first one, I guess? For... Mm, he does go AWOL. 
that part of it? Goes, yeah, I guess he's so, yeah. part of it. And he's, he's just like a shill at one point, isn't he? Yeah, he is. He goes Dance, monkey, dance. Yeah, yeah, there is that. Yeah. There is the whole point where he punches Hitler. But, uh, well, it'll. I mean, I don't know. I think Civil War, for me, was a riveting success. I was a fan. The end. So, film of the week... I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna begrudgingly give to Florence Foster Jenkins. Oh, really? I think, and well, because like I say, it is all heart. Why are you begrudgingly though? Cause, because because cause I wish, you, I wish it had, it. I wish it had more depth. I wish it meant more, and I, I maybe want it doesn't it. need to be more. It's just a, it's a nice frothy biopic of quite yeah. an interesting lady, by the sounds of it. Well, and it does get the famous quote, uh, you know, I can't sing, but I did. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they, they, they might say, I can't sing, but they can't say I didn't. Yeah. And, you know, <laughs> I like that. I was about it. And Street was, you know, dependably great in it. But, uh, so we've got, some, we've got some interesting stuff next week to come. What have you got for us? Well, have you ever seen an Eli Roth film and thought, I wish I could see this, but without depth or subtext or any kind of real thought? Can't say that. Well, if you're uh, if you're ever you know inc- if you ever sustain a serious head injury and you yep. find yourself having that thought, um, rest assured there is now a film for you because mm-hmm. they there's a remake of Cabin Fever out next week. Oh, good! Oh, yeah, no, d- produced produced by Eli Roth, but directed by some bloke named Travis Z. Travis Travis Z Z with just Z just, just a Z just, just a Z, Z. Like, like just Zorro a Z. Yeah, just like Zorro um, and have you ever thought I really enjoy my iPhone games but I really wish they were movie length um, yeah when I was playing Angry Birds well you're in luck Case <laughs> because there's an Angry Birds movie out next week just for you I think that's going to be alright I think it's going to be alright well because I think we, we adore most of the cast it's for that movie it's a great cast yeah. is Sudeikis isn't it Sudeikis Dinklage Danny McBride Bill Damn. Hader Bill Hader okay Bill Hader say no more I'm yeah, sold yeah, um, have you ever thought right, I, I love re- all these questions okay, this right, is great I really like Patrick Stewart but I wish he was a neo-Nazi trying to kill a, trying to kill an indie band I did when I saw the trailer for Green Room. Well, you're in luck, Case, because <laughs> Green Room is here next week. Uh, in the meanwhile, we also have Ewan McGregor in Our Kind of Traitor. Obviously, can't think of a question for that. Well, do you ever do you ever find that you really enjoy the Night Manager and Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy and just want to see more from more John Lacare? Well, you're in luck because yes. our kind of traitor right. is here. Uh, do you ever find that you really enjoy <laughs> Kevin Bacon but wish he was in more horror movies? Uh, yeah, and that's why. Oh, I don't know what the film it's, is. It's called The Darkness. The Darkness, the Darkness. is out next oh, week. Oh, of course, yeah. And uh, do you ever find you just wish there were films called Mustang? <laughs> I do, and that's why I'm looking forward to Mustang. Exactly. Now you're in luck, you see. I, I'm, that's because I know nothing of Mustang. That's quite clear. And yet you still framed the question I, relatively well. I think I did okay. Yeah, I think I did right. okay. Pa- you're passable. So we've got all those to come and more next week off screen. <laughs> uh, don't forget to download the podcast edition for the the post-credits podcast extras in which we fit in all the reviews that we couldn't fit in the actual broadcast edition. What have we got? Which this week includes I Saw the Light and Night of Cups and shed loads of film news which we almost never get to fit in entirely. But in the meanwhile, this has been an on-screen, this has been a candy store production for on-screen. I've been Van Connor. I've been Case Allen. And we'll be back next week. Just show me the way to get out of here, and I'll be on my way. You've been listening to Offscreen. For more news and reviews, visit onscreenfilm.com. Potty podcast extras. Potty pod. Okay, so should we? Uh, I'll, I'll give you some film news, and, and then right. we'll and then we'll talk about. I saw the light. So cool. let's talk about Wolverine three. Let's uh, do it. That has got a crazy cast. It has got a crazy cast. We've now got Richard E. Grant 
and Stephen Merchant in there because of course because wow. no I have no idea about it. don't even mention Stephen Merchant turned up at the national press show for Creed no, you didn't tell me that. No, we, we we turned up at Warner Brothers for the National Press Show of Creed. Did he sit in front of you? Because that would be really... No, really no thankfully he didn't. He's a tall man. Well, it turns out that he, he seems to know Mark Kermode and James King quite well, so he kind of just hung around oh, with cool. those. But, uh, okay. Um, <laughs> ben Ramsey, i got to talk about this guy. Ben Ramsey is the screenwriter of Dragon Ball Evolution, which I think we all remember as a galactic disappointment. Mm. Uh, well, he has now apologised to fans of the Dragon Ball franchise for writing what can only be described as an absolutely abysmal effort of a film. <laughs> uh, meanwhile, of course, big news for you and I, uh, it's now official, The Punisher is going to be a Netflix series starring That's John exciting. Bernthal. Yeah. Who did we say could have been a good Punisher? Who did we talk about? Manu Bennett he, from He would from have Arrow. been a good one. He, yeah, he but John Bernthal is crushing it right now. He is. He is absolutely Christian because this seems to be this wave of films he started. He started in. Uh, he did things like uh, Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah, great it was, role. In uh, Fury. He was very good in Fury. He was yes. just kind of popping up. Yeah, he wasn't went he? to. It was Fury. And then he was the history teacher in Me and Earl and the Dying, the Dying Girl. Girl. So good. Oh uh, yeah, because so he, you know he's, he's your boy, John Bernthal. He's my yeah. boy. Uh, yeah, so when we've talked about Batman Superman, oh, oh, can we talk about Will Ferrell real quick before we do this one? Because he he had a fun yeah, week. He did. He did and, right, you you because I I've only caught the Cliff Notes version of this story, so you you have to fill me in on some details. So as I understand okay. it, there is a film, there was a film in development called there's, Reagan. There's a script. There's a script called Reagan. Mm. This was on the blacklist, which is the yeah. best unproduced screenplays. And this is uh, this has been so popular that Donald Glover and Lena Dunham were doing live readings of it. Yeah. Right, and the the gist of this story is. It's the beginning of Ronald Reagan's second term in which he is starting to succumb to the throes of dementia and a White House intern is tasked with convincing him that he is still an actor but he is playing the role of the president in order to keep him on track. Right, is that right? That is correct, Okay. 100%. So we then had a film, that we then had this actually going into production as a feature film uh, with Will Ferrell playing the role of Ronald Reagan. That, that that's, that's again. That's good casting. Okay, that, that's I could see that working. Yeah. I'd rather see him do George W. Bush, but still, <laughs> like that's a movie I will pay money to see. Will Ferrell yeah. as Bush. Well, what what I've seen of his like one man show as Bush wasn't amazing. Yeah. So the idea then though was that Ronald Reagan's daughter evidently spearheaded a campaign <laughs> of absolutely annihilating Will Ferrell for being in any way connected to what it transpires was an incredibly offensive project to the extent that they had the the American Dementia for American Alzheimer's Foundation yeah they got involved uh, going after them as well yeah. and eventually they just terminated it yeah and this all happened within about 36 hours pretty much well Will Ferrell's agent basically put out a press release just saying that Will Ferrell was never really attached he was just kind of it was one of many scripts that he had. He'd been sent like ten scripts, and that just happened to be one. Despite the fact that it was officially announced that not only was he starring, he was also producing. Yeah. Yeah, funny so, that. Kind of backtracking a little bit, but little bit. E- either which way, not happening. Or at least not happening with Warfare, or not happening right now. So. No, I think they might have to wait until there are no more Reagans left in the world, and there's no one left to And we've cured Alzheimer's. That's about the only way they'll ever be able to do it without offending That's anyone. It, yeah. And it's a strange one because when you sit think, okay, it is offensive. It, it, there's no denying that one. And mm. I don't know how you could play that without it being particularly offensive. I, I can't really see a way. Mm. Unless but, you donated all of the box office takings <laughs> there to is that. a dementia. Having said that, I, I, I am an apologist for the movie uh, The Ringer, which I. Is that the Johnny Knoxville? That's the Johnny Knoxville Special Olympics movie. 
Oh, why are you an apologist? For I'm that? an apologist for that why? because because <laughs> I I actually I do like the sentiment behind the movie, which is that he is an irredeemable character who you know goes through a transitional. He goes through a nice little character arc, and in the end discovers that the contestants of the Special Olympics are actually far more talented than even he is. And I like that about it. I like mm. that it. Uh, it's a very. Well, I guess like to, it, uh, it's a similar kind of thing, isn't it? Like we're never going to know because we've not read the script for it, and we don't know. We if don't know. We don't. On, know, it's on true. the surface, it is quite yeah, it's quite controversial. But there might have been some kind of love it in there. It does sound like the kind of thing Tom Green would have done once upon a time, doesn't it? Yeah, but I think that would have been more crass than. A bit yeah. subversive. I, I say that as someone who laughs his ass off when he sees the umbilical cord swinging sequence in Freddy oh, Got Fingered. And <laughs> Look I, at my hooves! Look <laughs> at my hooves! <laughs> Daddy, would you like some sausage? Need <laughs> some more cheese for your cheese sandwich. Why do we know so much about film? It's such I, a bad I, film. I don't know. I, I'm the backwards man, the backwards <laughs> man. <laughs> backwards man, do what I can. Backwards man. <laughs> oh, no, Wilson we'll, we'll actually quotes that film to me occasionally. Yeah. Um, we, oh, I'll tell you what, we'll, we'll, we'll do the review of, uh, of I Saw the Light then, uh, which is uh, from writer director Mark Abraham. And this is the, the Hank Williams story. And this stars uh, Tom Hiddleston. And this is the problem because it is perennially going to be known as the Tom Hiddleston Hank Williams biopic. I don't think it's, it's in the same way that you know the Joseph Gordon-Levitt mountain biking movie. Um, it's just going to be known as the the Tom Hiddleston Hank Williams biopic, and it is well, it is just the story of Hank Williams. It begins with his wedding to Audrey, um, his ill-fated marriage, as it were, uh, to Audrey. This is sort of pre-fame, and uh, she's played by Elizabeth Olsen uh, throughout the film. Um, and basically, what happens? We we get the, the life and times of Hank Williams, uh, ending with his death uh, of heart failure in the early fifties, and it goes from it, it covers about three years, three four years, something like that. Oh no, it covers seven years. It covers seven okay. years, but not not a cradle to grave. Not a cradle like to it. grave. Literally, I think he's twenty two when it starts. He's twenty nine when he died, and that that yeah. is the, the, the very young, wasn't he? That's yeah, that's the crux young. of Hank Williams. Though that's why the story has always been such a fascination. Is he was so young, he was far too young to die of heart failure, uh, but also his alcoholism played into it. Uh, we have a clip. I'll play the clip, and we'll come back to it. Darling, you didn't hear what I was saying back there. I was defending you. You, you did a hell of a job on that Just song. Just forget about it, baby. Baby, it's a beautiful morning. You look beautiful. We're doing really swell. Oh, have another drink, Hank. Why'd you got to say that? You know, people like my singing. They tell me that. But not you. Every time you get a chance, you squash me like a bug. What are you talking about, a bug? More like a damn queen bee. I bring you up there. I stand by your side. Yeah, holding your nose. Hold my nose. Yeah, I'm no. sick of feeling bad, Hank. I'm sick of it. Hey, we got a hit record in case you don't know. We got a new house and you got a goddamn fur coat. Why do you think that makes up for all the drunken whoring around both It ought to make up for something. Well, it don't. Not for a second does it make up for crushing a person's dream. What? Yeah, I'll tell you what. Because it's clear as hell right now. You could take your hit record, wrap it up in that fur coat, and you answer the phone when my lawyer calls. So Elizabeth Olsen there, and she's she's part of the problem with the film, which we'll get to in a moment. Uh, So the film's arrived finally, despite there's there's been a very mixed buzz around it, I I found. And to give it its dues, none of the buzz seems to be against Tom Hiddleston. I think everyone has agreed that Hiddleston is the best thing about the film. And Hiddleston is terrific in it. His, his Hank Williams is whether or not it's a good impersonation, which I couldn't really attest to because I don't know Hank Williams that well. Um, whether or not it's a good impersonation, it is a terrific performance. Uh, for one thing, Hiddleston can really sing, and that caught me off guard. And he is introduced in this this glorious sort of pan around shot in which it's simply Tom Hiddleston on a stool, spotlight singing. And that is that is how we are introduced to Tom Hiddleston, and. 
it is a terrific performance, and it fuels the film wholeheartedly. It's him at the centre, and that's it. The problem is, it only has him to lean on. Uh, the script can't really do much with what is arguably quite a thin story. And because with Hank Williams, the whole story is, I was married, I got famous, I drank a lot, I had some women on the side, I died. And that's it. That, that, that's that's really it. It's like Dennis Leary once summed up uh, the the Doors by saying, "We don't need a two 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 hour movie about the Doors." <laughs> I'm drunk. I'm nobody. I'm drunk. I'm famous. I'm drunk. I'm dead. Bathtub. Yeah. Exactly. That's and yeah. Uh, and and that's that's the problem with doing certain musical biopics. The problem is as well. This can be quite compared to the Walk the Line. Mm. There's a lot of comparison to Walk the Line. You're a big fan of Walk the Line, I believe. I am. Yeah. But uh, and what you say? You said you could make several films about Johnny Cash. I believe was you the could term. make seven or eight films just about different parts of his life. And and that was the thing because he was an all-consuming character. He was a character. Yeah. Hank Williams is not within the context of this story much of a character. He is kind of an everyman who really just wanted a bit of privacy and to carry on with his drinking and whoring. And and Hiddleston plays it for the most part sympathetically enough. I mean, I don't, I don't think he makes him quite as much of a scumbag as he should. But there is also the issue then that because there's, a, you know, a level of thinness to the actual plot, you have also got the problem of the female lead because they they chop and change them quite often, and because the movie has to continuously repurpose female leads. There isn't anyone to really hang your hat on there, and there's there are plot threads that are taken up and then abandoned, and there's a really interesting one about a sort of matriarchal power struggle within his own family, whereby his mother and Elizabeth Olsen, for instance, don't get on. Mm. And the problem is, that's cast by the wayside so quickly that it wastes Cherry Jones, and I really like Cherry Jones. I've liked Cherry Jones since I saw her in 24. What was that, about a decade ago now? Something like that, yeah. And, and she's turned up in things since. She was in that uh, Stephen King a JFK series recently, the uh, 11, oh, 112263, yeah. in which she had next to nothing to do as Lee Harvey Oswald's mother, yet still managed to be terrific. So, fair play. Did you watch that, by the way? 11, no, I've, I've got it at home to yeah. watch that. Excellent. Do watch I've it. Heard, yeah, really good. Franco is amazing in it. Um, How often do you ever get to say that? I never <laughs> get to say Franco is amazing, although I maintain Pineapple Express, what a performance. Yeah, because great if, performance. He, if he wasn't actually baked, he should have been. Um... <laughs> This is the thing, though. Um, directorially, Mark Abrams has the balance down. He's got the style. He's got just the right tone for it. The problem is his story isn't there, and you do feel it, and the film goes on far longer than it needs to, and it crushes the two-hour mark. And by the end of it, you just walk away thinking, Hiddleston's great in it, and if he's the only reason you're there to begin with, if you're only seeing it because it's Tom Hiddleston, then fair enough. But if sooner or later you do need a narrative and you're not getting it, and simply put, you can't just sit through a film for one great performance. And that's a shame, because he's so good in it. Mm. Loki done well, man. And <laughs> Loki done good. Loki done good, man. So um, was it quite a big performance, or uh, did you keep things low-key? You're a terrible person. You're a terrible, terrible person, Case. <laughs> right, okay, so let's let's mop up some film news. I've called less bits. Oh, we... We, we missed the obvious one for this week. The the what big the big grand news. We have a Lara Croft. Oh yeah, that's massive. That's news. massive news, isn't it? And she's a good actress. And I don't she's... think she should have won an Oscar for that performance, but yeah. No, you don't think? Yeah. No. Okay. Considering that she did 
like four better performances that year. It's my lady, dog. Yes, she did. Um, she is good. But in about 18 months, she's been in about 45 films. We're, of course, talking about Alicia Vikander. Yes. Uh, is it Alicia Vikander or is it Alicia Vikander? I can never tell. I don't know. I'm never Vikander? Gonna, I'm, I'm never going to meet her. So I, I, I don't I don't know. Well, apparently, they'll, they'll, she'll be Lara Croft now, so there'll presumably be a press conference or a junket somewhere down the line. Think, yeah. So, uh, yeah, so Alicia Vikander is, or Alicia Vikander, or whatever, however you want to pronounce Depending it. Depending where you're from. She is the new Lara Croft. So this, That's good casting. This is going to be good casting. Yeah. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing uh, quite what comes of that. I heard that uh, Daisy Ridley went for it as well, but I couldn't quite. I couldn't see that. I couldn't see Daisy. I, Ridley I would have liked to have seen Daisy Ridley in that role. Mm. I don't know. I I think Daisy Ridley seems younger than Alicia Vikander. I think that's the thing for me. Yeah, there was there was a youth element to uh, to Daisy Ridley, which mm. I think kind of works perhaps more in the favour because it is meant to be a youthful reboot. It is true. It is. So let's talk then about Knight of Cups, which is the new one from uh, Terence Malick. Terry Mal. Terry Mal, yo. <laughs> and uh, well, this is this is continuing his trend of I will conquer the art house. Um, having gone from indie drama maker to well, and and briefly wartime filmmaker to uh, well, the art house really. He did Tree of Life. He did To the Wonder. Now he's done this. Uh, this has been made back to back with is it Weightless. Like that. Is that called, what it's going to be called? I think it's the, called Weightless. The South Ryan, by Southwest. I think film. so. It's Ryan Gosling, isn't it, as well? And it's Fastbender still. I'm it not, was going to be in it. I'm not sure. So, th- this is being called an experimental drama, which I don't quite get. It is the story of a depressed Hollywood screenwriter, played by Christian Bale, because why wouldn't you get Christian Bale to play that? If you can. And through this melodic haze of general ennui, our uh, would-be screen, I think his name's Rick, um, simply wanders around Southern California and very briefly Los Angeles through a series of different women in a chapter-like structure and tries to figure out, what does it all mean, Basil? We have a clip. Music is very important. It helps me to fall in love. I fall in love 20 times a day. You know, your face was very familiar to me, but I didn't know from where. You're fantastic. Thank you. Listening to music on the headsets, uh, totally unaware you are staring at them like a dirty old man. Myself, I, I didn't want to get a divorce. I never stopped loving them. But the way I, I love them changed. They are like flavors. Sometimes you want raspberry, then after a while you get tired of it, you want some strawberry. Hi, you are such a gambler. What's your name? Rick, do you know anybody here? So I think you can tell from that clip alone, this is not a standard film by any stretch of the imagination. Most of the dialogue in it is voiceover. So even that Antonio Banderas uh, bit mm. we've just heard is we are we are looking at Antonio Banderas as he does it and he is milling around his garden party flirting away in that way that you'd imagine Antonio Banderas does in reality and it is his dialogue in voiceover most mm. of the dialogue is provided <clears throat> in voiceover and what you've got is a very game cast who seem to understand the vision that Terence Malick is going for and they are all on board they are wholeheartedly invested and the result is you get great performances out of people that you wouldn't quite expect Brian Dennehy is in this movie and we get a wow, we get that's... a great performance from Brian Dennehy, which is something okay. I wouldn't expect to say this side of 1987. And then Wes Bentley turns up. Remember him from Ghost Rider? And 
Remember him from American Beauty Shut up. and from Hunger Games? Shut up. Well, forget Hunger Games. But, uh, great beard. Great beard. Great Hunger beard, Games, but yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so Wes Bentley and even Isabel Lucas from Transformers Revenge of the Fallen. It, it really, we actually get great performances out of this. But of course, at the centre of it all is Christian Bale, who is tremendous. He, re- I mean, this is Bale's forte, though. It is vintage Bale. It is, I am haggard, I am gaunt, I am soulful. I am the knight, I am Batman. I am Batman. Yeah. You know. <laughs> I was waiting for that. you got to do that gag, don't you? Um, so you've got some standouts, though. Natalie Portman, Kate Blanchett, both terrific in sadly reduced roles. Um, let's say Bale's the anchor, but it's all on Terrence Malick. Uh, however, there is something of a trifecta going on because you have Terrence Malick. You also have Emmanuel Lebeski. And that's an oh, important really? thing to bear in mind. Yeah, Chivo's Chivo. in there. Chivo's in there. And this is—I didn't realize Lebeski's been doing these for three films now. This is I, the third I know one. he did uh, Tree of Life. He did Tree of Life. He also did To the Wonder. Hmm, um, I believe didn't he win uh, Best Cinematographer for Tree of Life? That, that no. was—I think it might have been his first. No, film. his first one was for Gravity. Oh. No, I thought he won one for that. Okay, never mind. Uh, uh, you've also then got Hanan Townsend, who provides the music as well. Very sort of ominous, chilling, atmospheric sort of a score. And what you've got is this this feeling of a dream team. And it really it's present throughout. You feel like you've got this dream team. There's this team that know how to work together. They know what to, what to bring out of each other. And they all know what they're striving for collectively. And the film works on that level. It's not a, not a crowd pleaser. God, just God no. It is as art house as they come. Uh, is absolutely absolutely no appeal to the popcorn crowd, but you know what? There's this terrific Christian Bale performance at the centre. It is Malik at the top of his game, and for the record, I am one. I am an apologist for the New World. I actually really like the New World, which again was Christian Bale as well, mm. and even managed to draw a fantastic performance out of uh, Colin Farrell in the process, and because uh, that was the that was the movie of the two Johns. Yes, that was that was you had the yeah. first John was Colin Farrell, the second John was Christian Bale. Is that how it worked? Yeah. Was it the way around? Or? No, I think you've got it correct. Is it Farrell yeah, and Bale? Yeah. Yeah, okay. That's, that seems like trade. Yeah, it's trading up, isn't it? Mm. You trade up if you go from Farrell to Bale. Oh, absolutely. Oh, you would never do reverse, would you? I don't think if you were a lady, would you be disappointed if you traded from Farrell to from Bale to Farrell? I think it would depend on what film Christian Bale is doing. Ah, uh, yeah, it's true. Because, like. Bruce Wayne, but you don't want to go for the machine. I still, I still. You definitely don't want to go for for Patrick Bateman. <laughs> uh, I, I don't know. I am I am reliably told by my better half that uh, Christian Bale in American Psycho is the sexiest thing alive. But, with or without the chainsaw and the Phil Collins album. I'm pretty sure with the chainsaw and the uh, high top sneakers. Okay, but uh, yeah, I have a very very weird girlfriend. Um, <laughs> that, that is my fiance's favorite film. Really? Yeah, it is. This, this is this is why this is why we have couple dates. That's why. Yeah, they, they get on well. <laughs> this is <laughs> but Nine of Cups, wholeheartedly worth seeing if you're looking for something a little out of the norm. So um, I don't think we've got much else in the way of the news this week. Uh, we got the Black Widow thing, Paramount being sued. Uh, well, that's kind of it, really. We've, we've kind of closed out the week. Pretty much. We've done the big news about Lara Croft. That's now it. Now that we've remembered to do it. I mean, at the risk of sounding sexist, I have to ask, Lara Croft, Alicia Vikander, do you think they're going to pad her out? I, I've not thought about it. I've generally I'm, not. I'm, I'm, wondering. I'm sure you've thought about it. I, of course, I have because you, you know I have. Uh, I have deeply lust-filled feelings towards Alicia Vikander, so it has occurred to me naturally. Even bald Alicia Vikander in uh, Ex Machina, but uh, yeah, who'd have thought that you'd be that attracted to a robot? 
Yeah, ne- never thought I'd be that attracted to a robot. I've got to be honest, if someone offered me an Alicia Vikander robot, I'd, I'd take it. Like, clearly. <laughs> like, who, who wouldn't? This has turned into a really... Really per- sadistic, sadistic Black Mirror rant. episode. <laughs> yeah, I feel like that, that's... Uh, oh, ooh, ooh, Black Mirror. That, yeah, there's Black Mirror news. There's Black Mirror news. Yeah. Who is it that's just taken a job as director? Uh, the director of 10 Cloverfield Lane. That's His name it. I can't remember, but he's oh. the guy that's going to... Do- I don't know if he's just doing one episode or... He's doing one episode, and I... What was his name? It escapes me. He's signed on to do an episode. We've also got... Isn't yeah. Matt Reeve doing one? Um, that would be fantastic. I'm sure Matt Reeve's doing So one. anyone connected to Cloverfield in any way? Yeah, well, we shall see. Yeah, uh, Black Mirror TV series, 2016. Who have we got on here? Series cast and crew. So this uh, is the, um, the Netflix uh, pickup of This of is Black Netflix Mirror. picking it up and carrying yeah. it on. I mean, I'd like to imagine that... Uh, it's 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 not necessarily a reboot. We're not going to get any retreads. It's going to be new stuff. I think that it is. I don't think that Charlie Booker would have signed off on that. I think he just wants to make more and would get more. I'd imagine the money. Dan Trachtenberg, money. by the way. Dan Trachtenberg. Dan Trachtenberg. That's, his name. That's a guy. I didn't realize, by the way, until I was I was watching the newsroom uh, the, the the weekend. I didn't realize at Ten Cloverfield Lane, John Gallagher Jr. He's in the newsroom. That's yeah. where I knew him from. I didn't know him at all in in Cloverfield. I know Lane. from uh, Short Term Twelve. Ah, of course you did, because that's your Lady Miss Larson, isn't that it? Is my that's that's Brie Larson. Larson. Yeah. And you, you, of course, schooled. Oh, that was my original uh, Captain Marvel choice, was Brie Larson. Brie the... Larson? I, I don't think we can get her. She's a pint sized little thing. She can't be a Marvel hero. As is um, Elizabeth Olsen. Well, okay, that, that's that's fair enough. As is ScarJo. As is, as is, yeah, ScarJo is tiny. Scar- tiny but powerful. Scar- Scar- is tiny. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, Miss Marvel, I, I, I still want to, I still want Ronda Rousey. Um, I want Ronda Rousey to act first. Yeah, I know, she's... I know, I know. We've we've had the debate. Yeah, but mm. uh, I, I I agree with you on Rebecca Ferguson. I do. But who was uh, the other person I said? Natalie Dormer. You said Natalie Dormer. That's the one um, I think that they will get because I think that she is recognisable. I think that she will be affordable. Can, can, I, can I just ask this one? This is, this is a very superficial thing, right? Okay, you know that I think Natalie Dormer is one of the most beautiful women in the world. You, you know this. Yeah, she's gorgeous. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm a huge fan of of uh, Natalie Dormer. Always have been, and uh, her, her role in Game of Thrones has um, has given me many hours of enjoyment. Um, however, I do have to ask: this. she took part in the London Marathon last week. Is it me, mm. or does she not physically know how to smile? Uh, I don't think. <laughs> anyone smiles when they're doing a marathon no 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 we're talking about afterwards when they were taking the pictures every time Natalie Dormer <laughs> smiles everything her, her face above the lip implodes on itself really really does Never... just crumbles in on itself well, you don't see her smile that much in Game of Thrones. That's, that's exactly what I was going to say. Because not right now, anyway. <laughs> no, you realise, you then realise that in all the films, we all the films and TV shows we've seen Natalie Dormer in, mm. we never really actually see her smile. She smirks. There's a lot of. She's got a great smirk. Yeah, she's got a fantastic smirk. She does that yeah. corner of the mouth smirk. Yeah, but she never smiles. We now know why. To there fair, you go. Neither do I. I need, I don't smile. But you don't. You don't have tabloids talking about me. Well, that's just despite your affable, because you have that affable, you know, Tom Hanks, everyman quality. To you. Sorry, Colin Hanks, affable quality to you. That's that is the most backhanded. You're, you're, you're basically as much as I like Colin Hanks, everyone wants to be Tom Hanks, and not you're Colin basically Hanks. Colin Hanks in a flannel shirt. If we're honest, <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to be Adam Scott in a flannel shirt. And on that note, here it is, your moment of cage. I'm Benjamin. Ben. Benny Goodman, that's me, and I think you're sexy. That's right, you are sexy. Look at those eyes. Meow sexy, like a kitty cat. You turn me on, brum. You turn me on, brum.
Barump. You're not too tall. You're not too short. You're not too round. Barump. You're like a cat. The cat in the hat. <laughs> look at you. Look at those eyes. Honest to God, those eyes. You're luminescent, baby. You are lu. What? What? 